the Sum It Up Podcast. This is where we're talking about movies, shows, games, and whatever the heck we want. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. I am joined by my good friend John, and I am Chris, and we are your co-hosts for the day. John, how you doing? Chris, I'm good. How are you doing, man? You know, trying to stay dry. I've had really terrible weather in Florida the past week, as you know. It you know, hit South Florida, South Florida a little bit, hit the Florida Keys, and then it decided to do like a weird, you know, uh, uh, I would like to say Tokyo drift back into Florida with this Hurricane Ada and hit us again and in a different part of the state. So it's been bad weather, but you know, it's so far, uh, you know, no damage to the house, happy about that. And uh, we just keep on trucking, you know, but that's the most exciting thing from the week as far as real life. But there are more exciting things, John, happening in Hollywood. Tell me more. All right. Tell me more. Tell me more. Da, da, da. That's a Hollywood thing. You know, Grease. Sure. Grease lightning. Anyways, Johnny Depp resigns from Harry Potter still to receive his $10 million salary. So Depp was asked to resign over the weekend by Warner Brothers after the elongated legal battle with his ex-wife Amber Heard and British newspaper The Sun was lost in Great Britain. Obviously, this is just a side note. You know, Johnny Depp has other lawsuits here in the United States, but he had recently lost in the libel case about uh, the son alleging he is a wife beater. And um, while the legal battle still remains in court in the U.S., the lost libel case across the Atlantic has put more pressure on Warner Brothers to make a decision about Depp's portrayal of Grindelwald. I spelled Grindelwald wrong, but it's okay. Uh, WB will also have to pay the recasting as well. And Depp's contract was a pay or play scenario, which the money's paid up front, which is very common for A-list acting talent. So, John, my question for you is, was this the right move by Warner Brothers, or did we just watch a remake of the James Gunn firing? No, I, I don't think it's a, a redo of, of that situation because both of the movies... The main movies that Amber Heard and Johnny Depp were involved with are both under the Warner Brothers studio umbrella. Um, so it's the same studio heads making the call to fire Johnny Depp. Let's be let's be real here. He was fired. He didn't he didn't resign. It wasn't under his own volition. Oh, yeah. Um, and and Amber Heard is being is deliberately being kept on for the Justice League uh, Snyder Cut reshoots for the future Aquaman films. Ooh. I know you have feelings. Um, Wait, do but, you, uh, just to just get out of the way, are you are you team Heard or are you team Depp? I'm team neither, um, uh-huh. because I mean, okay, I I don't want to just feel like I'm contributing to all of the noise that's out there. When I mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I haven't done enough research on either side to know truly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think. Your unfounded opinion is my best interest right now. <laughs> okay, then I think that they are both definitely at fault to some degree. Um, I mean, Johnny Depp has a bit of a reputation for being kind of a wild card uh, in his personal life. And it sounds like Amber Heard is much more involved than the lawsuit in the UK might lead people to believe. Um and for Warner Brothers to not have any kind of repercussions for her in the situation, it's it's not just like a tacit um, move on their part. Like this is a very deliberate um, uh, choice that they've made to keep her on for all the movies that she's involved with under their studio. Um, so I I don't like that fact. I think if if two people in the same studio are involved in a lawsuit like this that involves both sides and you're going to fire one you probably need to fire the other if there's enough evidence to support um, an ongoing lawsuit like this and if you're not going to fire them both then or if you're not going to fire one then obviously you're not going to fire both of them together Um, it's just it's so much stuff being thrown around that it just seems it feels very murky to me and i I think if I had to lean one way, I would be more on Johnny Depp's side, just from what I do understand. But again, I I don't know enough to have a fully defined opinion or stance on it. Um, I don't so know. What man. you're what saying about... is you hate women. 
No, I'm just that's, kidding. That's I'm, the allegation I'm trying to avoid here, Chris. I, I understand. That's why you're uh, walking this tightrope. I also would say I lean in Depp's corner. Uh, obviously, uh, it, it seems like it's two children arguing with each other, and both of them are at fault, where I think Depp is kind of like a... Uh, what is it? It's like an alcoholic who doesn't know what he's doing and he might do something that's bad. But then at the same time, when he's like, can you stop doing this? And she's just like, no, because you all... F- he, I think in the recording, she's like, no, stop being a pussy. And she's like bullying him and shit like that. And it's just like, it's not... Either way, both of them are unhealthy with each other. And for Warner Brothers not to do anything about Amber Heard is kind of wild. And I hope they... It, the, it sends mixed messaging and i believe you could quote uh, tell me if i'm wrong about this john that harry potter is also under the warner brothers umbrella is that you know well that they did uh fantastic beats is where to find him and yes for for me it just seems like i i feel like the harry potter fans you know who watch that you know johnny depp is gone are also going to go to warner brothers like okay great now get rid of Amber Heard and the Justice League. And I'm curious to see how the Justice League fandom, whether they throw Amber Heard under the bus or they or they defend her. Because I'm watching the Star Wars community, or I'm not the Star Wars community, I'm watching the Reddit community really try and find people to replace Amber Heard with like funny memes of people who could take her place. And I know the Star Wars community is putting Obi, well, like, um, not Obi, well, Obi-Wan, it's, it's Ewan McGregor that'd be like, he, Ewan McGregor would be a fine replacement for Amber Heard because he's a sexy beast. And it's just like, <laughs> okay, a, a joke meme, but respectable. I mean, what's your, what's your take on that? Because I don't, uh, I'm curious what you think is, is the, is that, is that something you could see that can happen is should, should WB make the move to get rid of Amber Heard? Well, there's been calls for her recasting much longer than I feel like there's been calls for Johnny Depp to be taken out of the Harry Potter films. Um, uh, What? Oh, my gosh. I can't for the life of me. I can't think of her name right now. Uh, Daenerys Targaryen. Oh, Amelia Clark. Clark. Amelia Clark. I said as soon as I said that, I knew Um, people have been saying and like photoshopping pictures of her into Mira. um, And I, I think she would be a great uh, choice as a replacement. I'm mean, like, she and um, Jason Momoa already have a rapport together. Yeah, they had um, sex. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't consensual, but it happened, and then it was consensual, you know? Yes. They have great, they have great on-screen barbaric chemistry, is yes. the word I'll use. Um, yeah, so I mean, in that in that sense, I think if, if they were going to do it, I think she would be a great choice, and um, obviously she would be a great enough actress to cover the role. Um but I, again, it's it's all under the same umbrella, and it just feels very odd that they felt this much pressure to to cancel Depp and and not do anything, not even put out like a statement or anything um, in regards to Amber Heard. And it it feels like they're trying to walk some kind of Me Too tightrope where they don't want to fall into that pit, but at the same time that's that's still taking a very clear side of someone who's being alleged to be a, a a spouse beater and who has been physically and emotionally abusing her husband or uh, no, ex-husband no, no. now no 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 don't do this john she, the son was able to say in great britain and put it out in the paper that he was a wife beater don't you back down john she's a <laughs> husband beater do not husband do beater. not say uh uh what is that a partner beater or whatever the hell heck you said spouse beater no 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 this isn't this isn't cbs we're not swapping spouses here he she is a husband beater say it outright okay. be strong be confident say it with pride he she she, she? is a husband beater there we go i i think okay. i think uh we've done wonders for the uh community against domestic violence right here yes yeah <laughs> it feels like it it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> But if we're talking about replacements for Amber Heard, um, I, so you 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 kind of know who's going to be or who's in talks at least well, to replace Johnny Depp. I personally don't know, but apparently Deadspin knows, and they were reporting that Mads Mikkelsen is going to be the next Johnny Depp, is what they're rumoring is going around. And I got to tell you, John, my initial thoughts, I love it. Mads yep. Mikkelsen is so 
I feel like he, since he's done so many Disney movies, which is like when I say Disney, I mean like hey, he did Rogue One. He did uh, the oh man, why am I blanking on this? He was uh, he he was uh, uh, in the in the the magician movie. Oh no, don't help me. I can do this. It was in Doctor Strange. Dang it. <laughs> He was in the magician movie. He was in the magician. Yeah, he was in the Prestige with. Uh, uh, <laughs> I almost said Hugh Laurie, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> oh man, at age at age twenty seven, my mind is like a jar of pickles, and the pickles just keep. When I put my hand in for the pickles, the pickles move away. It's a big jar. Um, that's what my thoughts are like. But are you having a Patrick Star moment in with your hand in the pickle jar? No, I can get my hand on the pickle jar. It's getting the pickle out of the jar is the problem. That's fair. Yeah, I got I got tiny arms, John. It's just hard to put to get in there. Anyways, Mads Mikkelsen, I think is a great great casting, and him as Grindelwald can really. I even though I haven't watched these movies, I just know that Mads Mikkelsen deserves more big time shots. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? I love it. I was I think f- acutely aware of Mads Mikkelsen when I started watching the show Hannibal uh, for the two or three seasons that was on. And he is a phenomenal villain. Um, just he has he brings such like a nuanced, layered uh, take to every role that he has. Um, he, I mean, not only does he just look like a villain like he was in Casino Royale, but he, like I said, like he just adds so much more emotional depth to something you might not necessarily think. And I think more than Johnny Depp, I think you could almost make Grindelwald relatable with him because he has that kind of soft-spokenness to um, some of his dialogue that he brings. So it, I, I think that you could you could expand and make uh, the character of Grindelwald a little bit more um, uh, empathetic for the audience if that's the route they wanted to go. Mm. Personally, I think the Fantastic Beats movie have kind of run their course. And I am not really interested in them anymore. So whether or not they replace Depp or whether or not they just shut the movies down is not really a big factor to me. Um, I would be more concerned with uh, the Aquaman 2 stuff because I feel like that's more my alley. Uh, but I don't know. I, if they're going to do it, Mads Mikkelsen is a great choice. Yeah, I think Mads Mikkelsen would be great as Amber Heard. Wait a minute. That's all I <laughs> No, that's exactly what you meant. It is exactly what I meant. You got it, buddy. Uh, yeah, I, I I would agree 100% with you. But moving on to something that, you know, is a little bit more that we think is concrete and will probably be a success story. Uh, and I'm talking in reference to Amber Heard at this point because she is not a success story. Jordan Peele's next horror film gets a June 2022 release date. So Jordan Peele's third installment into the horror film franchise that he had with the success of Get Out and Us, the third installment, this is what this is going to be. And uh, I guess the universes are kind of not, they're not tied, but it's kind of like that chronological thing of horror that he does and kind of similar to like Fargo, how the universes are disconnected. The universe of Fargo is like disconnected but connected at the same time the seasons don't take place back to back but it's all within the same genre and area which i find fascinating to see it finally in horror uh even though i don't like horror and neither do you peel has generated more success recently with lovecraft country which is really cool and he's also been the writing and producing credits for Candyman, which is another kind of weird horror film which is due out next year so john uh knowing how much you and i despise horror but can appreciate good producing and filmmaking uh what are your what are your do you have any thought thoughts about how jordan peele's next film is gonna affect the movie industry while we're still dealing with COVID? is this a good thing is this something for the film industry to get excited about or is this gonna go to a bidding war to amazon or netflix what are what are your thoughts here no, I mean, I, I think by 2022, it won't be a matter of fighting to get everything on streaming. I think we'll be back in theaters by that point. But um, I think I, I see this as a huge positive. I mean, I, I think for someone who has such original and creative ideas as Jordan Peele to continue to get support from studios and keep having his ideas produced um, shows that they know how to recognize a good idea when they see one, at least in most cases. Um, and honestly, man, like I, with his success, anybody would be stupid not to back him. Um, 
I mean, I he he does really well nuanced, thoughtful, well written stories. Um, I would definitely say that Get Out was more of a success than Us. Um, mm. I I think partially because it was the first on the scene and took the world by storm and we it really kind of you're gonna love this subverted the expectations for what we thought of jordan peele and his comedy background yes um and us i think would have been a bigger hit if it if it had come out first um because that would have been the one kind of introducing us to the horror side of jordan peele but for a third film like this kind of be set in the same tonal universe if nothing else um, I, I think it's going to be really good. Uh, he's obviously going to have learned from the success of Get Out and Us and the failures of both. Uh, I, I think with Us, more than anything, it seemed like he like the writing was overcomplicating what um, the story should have been. Um, and it left a lot of room for fans to kind of ask a lot of questions as to like, how did these things happen? Why is there a giant lab underground? How did these people get by without anybody noticing? Does everybody have a clone? Um, yeah. These yeah. like really basic questions that the film never takes the time to answer, which is fine. I don't think you should baby your audience by any means, but um, get out kind of left less to the imagination and more to like a philosophical debate which was really interesting. Um, so I'm I am nothing but excited to see what kind of uh, content he puts out next and the take that he has for his next film. Um, I, I'm sure it'll be just as thought provoking as the previous ones. And I mean, he's got he's he's come out and said he's got a ton of ideas kind of in the same vein as these first couple of films. And so he's just basically putting them out as he gets time. And I I, I think it's great. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think that when I look at Jordan Peele as him as a director, producer, writer, I think of him like a the coming of Christopher Nolan and what Christopher Nolan has done for thought provoking blockbusters with the idea of time, and Jordan Peele is that when it comes to horror. And while I'm not really a fan of the horror genre and I don't know a lot about the horror genre, I can at least appreciate when someone's being a breakout star, and that's where I'll keep my opinion about him because I'm not really an expert when it comes to those movies. I do agree because I do listen to people talk about his movies uh, that the the premise around us is great, but it did have people walking out of the movie theaters like, okay, there's a few plot holes in it because of how wonky it got at the end. So for that, I understand the criticisms with us, but overall, I think everyone still liked it. And I hope that the one thing he learns from nolan is not to not to continue to leave the same problems in your previous movies and your new movies because while nolan does have this really great filmmaking repertoire and he puts out great movies he does allow the faults of his old movies to continue in his new movies doesn't really fix a lot of the things that are wrong and it really does bother me when the sound mixing in your moving is so bad. Come on, man. How come I how come I can't hear anybody talk in your movie? Just stop it. And like and I agree, you don't have to baby your audience. And you know, he you know, Christopher Nolan so famously did that with Inception. You know, it's it's great. But at the same time, it's like I can't hear anything Cobb is saying in the most important part of the movie. What? Why? Why, man? Don't stop doing this in your movie like a tenant too. It's, it's the same issue. And he the over the the moments of exposition in his movies, sometimes like people miss like super key details because it goes by too quick and the sound mixing is wrong. And that's terrible for continuity for a movie. So but the sound design is fantastic it's the sound mixing that's the issue with nolan and i hope that uh jordan peele doesn't become that type of director although i think he is the next christopher nolan when it comes to the horror genre yeah yeah and just the consistent quality of the films he puts out and he puts out good shit he is the hbo of directors right now i Mm, that's a good question that's a good that's a that's a hot take but i think uh i think that's a a strong take you know that's a good one it's a good hot take yeah 
I'll, I'll, Thank you, Chris. I'll allow it, you know? I'll put you at the Oscars to say it, and I know how much you hate the Oscars, but... Yes. Speaking of, uh... You know what? There's no there's no proper segue to this. Okay, the first next-gen gaming console to break <laughs> is the PlayStation 5. It is here, next-gen gaming. John, I know you're not a gamer, but I, as a gamer who doesn't have either the PS5 or Xbox Series X pre-ordered, I love this stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, on Twitter, popular YouTube reviewer ACG said his review unit PS5, which was provided by Sony bricked itself in a storage rebuild glitch so uh, according to acg the unit is 100 dead and he added that sony is walking him through troubleshooting to restore it his uh 500 paperweight that he has now and uh and just uh my own after doing five minutes of my own research uh, i found out that faulty electronics are not uncommon so in a batch and this is with probably anything manufactured there's going to be some bad units and this is what happens when you do with something that's mass produced certain batches are going to have a couple of faulty units in them and i was looking at redditors discussing scenarios that have happened with playstation before where somebody gets a faulty unit and then playstation immediately replaces it uh, because obviously it was their fault you got the wrong unit you paid all this money will replace it so I do think the criticism some people freaking out about uh, ACG's review unit is a little a little bit blown out of proportion. People on Reddit were saying that, that social media was kind of taking it by storm. And people have corroborated ACG's sto- uh, story that they had issues with the with the storage rebuilding in their units. The problem is, is that theirs didn't get bricked and completely died. It seems that his went full-blown dead. And uh, it could be a cause for concern, but uh, also that's not on what I wrote is that what's coming out, you know, in the past 24 hours is that the Xbox Series X is having some weird uh, disk drive noise that uh, the disk drive, when you boot it up, the Xbox Series X disk drive is making like weird clicking noises or something like that. Some, something to ruin the idea that it's a silent machine. It's actually quite noticeable, and when it it'll stop when you place a disc in it, which is really weird. Uh, but you know, this is what happens when you're an early adopter of a of a for, of a generation console. And uh, I usually adopt after, or you know, in the last generation, I bought my PlayStation Four. I believe two years after I bought my PlayStation. Uh, two years after the launch of it or a year and a half after the launch so i didn't really have any bad issues with my playstation 4 i still don't have any bad issues with my playstation 4 i love it um but i do remember getting a playstation 2 uh as an early adopter my parents got me the playstation 2 from circuit city and it wouldn't play uh the blue cd discs and this was a weird thing back in the early 2000s for all you what is it, gen zers out there who don't know that the PlayStation 2 disk drive wouldn't read these new discs that were out because it was hot in the market. So your disk reader would have an issue reading them, and sometimes it'd scratch up the game or the game would just be unplayable. And so new unit PS2s were able to read those blue discs that came out. But um, eventually developers just phased them out and just used normal CD CD discs. So it was kind of like a weird uh, age of like trying something new out. But John, my question for you as the non-gamer in this conversation is, should consumers be concerned or should they just trust the company to replace them if it breaks? And do you have a similar experience where you got a product and had to contact customer service in which they would fix it? I mean, I, I think when you are in, when you're first in line to get a pre-order or um, a new gaming console or a new electronic of any kind, when it's fresh off the market, you are taking on a more of a risk that something is going to go wrong because uh, companies like Sony and like Samsung and like Microsoft, uh, they put out a lot of software patches um, and fix a lot of bugs when all of these users start um, sending in the data and telling them what's been going on with it and get real life experience handling these devices over a period of time. Um, I, this is the fact that a couple people's devices have bricked up, I don't think is any cause for concern or anything out of the ordinary. 
it's just we have social media that makes some of these voices uh, like the negative reviews so much louder than people who have positive reviews and maybe not putting the positive up online. Um, so I, I'm not worried about it. I mean, I, I waited three years to get a Switch because I wasn't sure about it. And I every time I play it, I love it. And I don't have any issues with it, but that's because I waited so long um, for all the kinks to get worked out that by the time I got it, it was nothing but smooth sailing. Um, and it's really not until you get like a new game or something that maybe there's something like a tiny little glitch in that, that there's an issue. Um, I mean, I'm set up on the Samsung Galaxy Forever plan where every time a new Galaxy phone comes out, I, I get the chance to uh, get that through Sprint slash T-Mobile. Um, and sometimes there are like tiny little issues, uh, but I've been very fortunate that all of the major electronics that I've purchased, I haven't had any like, I need to send this back kind of problem. Um, at least nothing that's been able to not be fixed with like a software patch or something. Um, so I, I know that I'm definitely out of the ordinary in that regard. But I, I would definitely consider myself very lucky. And I, when I, I mean, like getting new phones like that so often and, and right when they come out of the gate, I, I do expect there to be some issues that I know will eventually be worked out. But that's just trust in the company that over time has shown that they take care of their customers. Yeah, and, uh, and I, I would agree with you that that's not too much of a cause for concern because these companies do replace things you know they do replace items especially when it's something really expensive that you buy in the electronics industry it's huge and even even when i have something that breaks on amazon that's sold by amazon they're like oh yeah like i I got the wrong item shipped by amazon so they're like yeah you can keep it and we'll refund you the money it's like these companies aren't necessarily uh going to just leave you uh you know leave you out to dry because i i think that's more of a common thing when it comes to mom and mom and pop shops and that's not really to get on the small business owner you know i'm sure they're really great owners out there be like yeah absolutely we'll fix whatever we sold you like whether it's like furniture or something it's like oh you know we'll just go out there or if they install something in your in your ac but more often than not we do see cases of people just putting out faulty products or people like hey you break it you break it you bought it blah blah blah. you took it to your home at that point it's on you blah blah blah. you see that happen all the time with uh, smaller smaller type of operations so well and that just comes down to size yeah like you said like size of the operation and if if the company has enough funds to where they can kind of just uh take care of the issue and take care of the customer then they're going to do that but when when a new gaming system like this comes out the main concern of 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 companies like this is is public appearance and public perception and so if if a bunch of people are saying that they, they had horrible experiences dealing with ps5 issues and it's not worth your money that negative those negative reviews are going to spread like wildfire and it's going to affect their overall sales and they know that so they're one of their big concerns is just putting out fires and they may put more of of a, a emphasis on handling small or major issues with the hardware and the software initially within the first like six months or so than they do a year or two down the road because they're they're trying to make sure that people have a positive experience and that's what they remember um, from getting that so that they don't make the switch over to Microsoft or vice versa when when the Xbox Series X comes out um, so yeah I mean it's it's all about public perception right now yeah, that's and uh, it all is about public perception because that's how you sell units. And it, and for the gaming industry itself, this is nothing new, because Xbox three Xbox three sixty had the red ring of death, which was pre, which statistics haven't done that. They guess that fifty percent of Xbox three sixties had the red ring of death. And John, if you don't know about that history, it's basically your your computer get or your Xbox gets so hot that it eventually fries and dies. And that 50% of Xboxes were affected by this. And if you send it in the Xbox, they would fix it or replace it. And this operation was said to have cost Microsoft about $1.4 billion. Jeez. So they did take quite a loss on that. And, you know, the PlayStation 3, which I had, and it, I did get it, was called the Yellow Ring of Death, where it affected far fewer 
uh far fewer units than xbox it was like nowhere near 50 percent. it was much rarer and my playstation what happens is the motherboard it would get hot and it would unsolder certain components of it because it gets so warm and so it would brick and die and you know this issue that i see when it's like a storage glitch you know while that does suck all playstation really has to do is probably send you kind of like they do like a reboot disc but instead of it being a disc if you have the discless version it's probably like a little usb drive you plug it into your playstation it makes the whole thing like new hardware like a recovery a recovery program so i don't think that this is the end of the world as long as the thing isn't overheating and completely destroying components on the inside a storage glitch while it does suck if you lose a lot of information the system is at least recoverable so yeah it is what it is but we're gonna go on to our next story now i was gonna leave this for last but we're gonna start talking about it now only because there's a conversation after it which i think kind of defeats the purpose of it being last and so we're just going to talk about it now. So, if you didn't know, ladies and gentlemen, Alex Trebek, host of Jeopardy, dies at age 80. He actually died on November 8th. After a year-long and a half battle with pancreatic cancer, Alex Trebek... Trebek? Oh, my gosh. Trebek? Trebek. 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 Yeah. I don't know. I keep thinking of... Um, we'll get into it. But November 8th at his Los Angeles home, Alex Trebek... There we go has been the host of Jeopardy since 1984. 1984, John. That's insane. And had been filming episodes for the show within two weeks of his death. Uh, executive producer Mike Richards and Jeopardy both paid tribute to Trebek by... Trebek. Trebek. I don't know why I'm doing that. Trebek, I'm nervous. Citing to release his final 35 episodes through Christmas. And I have something written here. Perhaps we can take a moment of peace for Trebek with his, with this bit of info. He had described how before he died, he wanted to spend his last day looking at the horizon from the swing of his Los Angeles property. A swing or bench he admired and even fixed earlier this year. He did just that on his last day, watching his last horizon view with his wife and soulmate Jean really touching stuff he even wrote a book in the pandemic um so you know we can at least be we at least have a bit of peace knowing that he went out the way he he wanted on his last day on earth which is nice so uh i just want to ask you john like uh you know when you think of alex trebek what do you think of uh what memories come to you as far as like uh him as the host of jeopardy I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is just, oddly enough, SNL. Yes. Um, and just the nice going Trebek. Uh, that was really good. Oh, thank you. I tried so hard. I didn't want to mess it up. Um, no, but I mean, I, he was always held in such high esteem from from the general public. He He's one of the few celebrities in the country that has never had a scandal uh, that seems to have never done a, th- a bad thing in his life and just always seemed to be a great source of inspiration for people. Um, I remember watching the show growing up uh, with my grandparents and uh, never fully understanding. I still don't think I fully understand the flow of the game. I just kind of go with it because I don't watch it enough to to take the time to try and invest in learning it. But um he just he was so confident in his hosting skills and just always seemed like he had a, he was going in a good direction and that the contestants were always taken care of and supported um, and just it always felt like it was fun just to be a part of that experience being on his show and I, I just I don't know man like he was just a legend and it it it's a horrible thing to lose someone like that um, to cancer especially but it just like you said like it's so um it's so reassuring to know that he he knew how he wanted to spend his last day and he was able to do it with his dignity and with his wife by his side um and to go out with that sense of peace and just knowing that he left on his own terms um the way that he wanted to and and that he had accepted what was happening with him and was an advocate for it and or advocate for um uh, like the awareness of the disease that he had and um 
and and just spent his last days doing what he loved and which was hosting the show which was being with his family doing what he wanted to do and i i hope that i have the opportunity to go out in that same sense of dignity and grace that he had um in facing his final days yeah it is really a a nice at least it's a peaceful thing to think about that that at least that's what he got Uh, for me when it when it comes to jeopardy I think of the days that my parents, you know, those when I was really not really young, but I was young, like six, seven, five years old. And my parents were working during the summer. What they would do before I got involved in like going to a camp because I was I was little, maybe like uh, maybe four or three years old. My parents would leave me with my grandparents to be watched and I'd be dropped off at their apartment and I would have breakfast my grandma would make me breakfast and it would be french toast and eggs and i love french toast uh and i would have coffee as a four-year-old and that's bizarre when you think about it but italians drink coffee at age one i guess they replace it with the breast milk um but (laughs) i remember like i'd be there long enough to watch jeopardy with my grandpa my grandpa would be in his reclining chair and he he would know like maybe two things out of the whole entire board and not know the rest and it was like kind of fun to watch it'd be like the daily double boo, boo, boo. that graphic that's like still ancient graphic like they kept this show still to its its true 90s and 80s type of flair which i think is very interesting for the modern era with shows that are just flashing all sorts of stuff at you technology and um they, but like we still haven't gotten that flavor uh the same as jeopardy jeopardy just does it on a whole nother level where they just keep it and it it's iconic it's fantastic it's if i would say jeopardy is is an amazing american show and everyone should have a memory of it and it's so sad to see that alex alex trebek is gone and uh it's it's one of those memories that i'll always have with me of being at my grandparents house and watching it because it was really great and then you know when i was you know 20 years later on i would learn about the snl skits and i'd die laughing about it i'll take latits now for 400 ah, 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 ah. i love it <laughs> let it snow latits now it's so great but the reason why i didn't leave this for last is because we have a conversation and i want to be very transparent with the audience the three of you out there Maybe four, you know, we could get lucky this week. Um, we don't want to use this as our opportunity to destroy his legacy, um, but there are rumors going on around about replacements. Now, I've been, I'm going to speak for John at this point. No one should replace him. He, no one's going to replace Alex Trebek. He is a legend, you know. And, and, and whatever we get, that is is the replacement is going to be nowhere near his level and there will always be a shorter version of him that is the respect we are giving this man john i give you the floor i mean this whole conversation is inevitable when you think about the end of one person's career in an institution like jeopardy and i mean he talked about who would end up replacing him and i don't think he ever gave out like specific names but he was fully aware that someone was going to keep up the mantle and someone was going to take over the show and he was fully in support of that because he didn't think that jeopardy should go off the air just because he was gone um and it's not the trebek show it's 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 uh it's an institution like i said it's something that's going to outlive each of the hosts and each of um the vanna whites and everybody um, no, Vanna White's gonna live forever. That that's, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. She and is whatever, the immortal Betty White. Uh, she's the immortal Betty White, and Pat Sajak is just—I don't know—he's got the fountain of youth drinking from the tears of the contestants who lose. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, there are definitely a lot of pe- names in the hat for people who I think the public would like to see replace him. Um, whoever it is, they're gonna have en- enormous shoes to fill. And I I can't help but think that they're going to change the aesthetic of the show just in the sense of preserving Trebek's legacy um, and that version of Jeopardy. And so I think maybe they'll try and make it into a more modern show, at least aesthetically, Um, maybe bring it into the early 2000s instead of the early 80s. Um, 
who knows? But um, there are two big names that are going around that I, I, I hate. I hate the I hate the first <laughs> one that you have written on the doc. I just hate it so much. And I know, I know, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the suggestion of the rumor, but at the same time, I am mad at you for putting it on the dock. Okay, well, I will preface it with this, and that this man is not a host of a ongoing uh, show. He is an incredible actor. He is a great advocate for um, for so many things that deserve attention in the world. Um, oh my gosh. I feel you, so, so bad. You just remembered where he's from, didn't you? I just remembered who he was because I was thinking of a completely different LeVar. <laughs> I was thinking of LeVar Ball. <laughs> The NBA player. I was so mad. No, this is a great choice. Go ahead. Tell them who, okay. who tell them what the audience has won. So I thought it was LeVar someone Burton. totally else. Oh my LeVar gosh. No, it's LeVar Burton, the reading rainbow man and Jordy LaForge from Star Trek. The reading rainbow man. Um, so I, not the I, NBA player for anyone who might get confused. It's not LeVar ball. It's LeVar Burton. <laughs> just, just for anybody out there who might get confused. Okay, before we started recording, Chris, you were so against him doing this, and you were just impassionate and uh, just so steadfast in your belief that he should not take over this, and now it makes sense. So I, I feel I feel better about that. Um, yeah, you know, I told you from the beginning, pickle jar, John, pickle jar. Yeah, yep. I mean, I, I think that he would be good, and I think that he should definitely be... Um, more in the center of the public eye doing something. I just think he's a great guy and a great advocate um, for education. Um, he's, he is a, obviously a very intellectual man, and I think that he would carry the mantle of of Alex Trebek with, with dignity and be a good successor. Um, but I, I personally, I think for the sake of the show and just in the way that this guy kind of took the public by storm uh, in the last few years... I think Ken Jennings is at least my personal pick to take over. Um, He's the guy who has held the longest uh, streak as a champion of the show. Um, He even went on to be a consultant for the show currently. And I don't know, man, like personally, it just, it feels like it would be more of like an inside hire. Um, Like they're hiring somebody from within the family already and kind of bringing them out who someone who's familiar with the way the show works, who, could just I, who could take up the mantle with respect to to Trebek, but also make it his own. Um, and I think I think Levar Burton definitely has more um, more experience dealing with the public, but Ken Jennings has more experience on the show and how it works. And I I think he could kind of be the younger face to bring it into a more modern era and a more um, familiar face that maybe the older audience is still familiar with and would be an easier transition. Yeah. Ken and Jennings kind of that pick is one of those weird things where I think he's obviously fantastic contestant, but for him, but me looking at him, he just seems like a emotional, um, a emotionless husk of a person. And that's not really to be mean to him. That's just a minor criticism that I have is that when I look at him, I look at a man that is controlled by a robot, and I don't see a lot of charisma. Uh, and I think with Alex Trebek, he had a really reserved, uh, I want to say a reserved type of personality that oozed education, which is why he was charismatic. When you hear him talk and about the show, he really is a very intellectual man, as we've discussed. He's very smart. But he's not in your face. He's not throwing it out there. He is. He seems quite introverted. And his passion was education, which is why the show has not really changed that long, has never really changed that much in the past 36 years. Or uh, So this is my thing. I think LeVar Burton would be a better replacement. But if they do go with Ken Jennings, I think that if a champion comes along and beats his record, they take Ken Jennings' place as the host of the show. Just putting my two cents there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like we said, whoever's going to take over has big shoes to fill and I don't envy them uh, because as soon as they make an announcement of who it is, they they know what they're getting into. 
Um, but I think of all the content that's out there, I think Jeopardy is is such a friendly and welcoming. It just the audience, the environment that it sets the tone, the um, the viewers all seem like they're just so welcoming and accepting um, and encouraging because, I mean, even the people that are behind, like you still, you don't boo anybody on Jeopardy. It's just such a warm show. Um, so I, I think whatever happens, it's going to work out. Um, and I, I mean, I'm excited to see it continue even beyond Alex Trebek um, because obviously no one's going to replace him. Like we've said a hundred times already, but um, they're going to find a good host. And that it's not really a question of when; it's a matter of, or not not a matter of who, but a matter of when. Um, and so I'm, who regardless of whoever gets it, I I'm excited. Yes, that and I hope they. I I'm weary more than excited, but I really hope that it works out. Uh, John, do you know who Lavar Ball is? I don't, but whoever he is, I really hope that he doesn't take over Jeopardy. No, not, neither do I, and uh, I'm actually, you know, just be glad that you don't know who he is, because he has a lot of really dumb takes in the NBA world. But anyways, getting away from LeVar Ball and putting more of a focus on education and all that stuff, let's talk about our topics of the show, John, that I leave at the end of all of the shows that I produce here, or I'm in charge of, so let's get to it. Uh, let's talk about this thing called Snotgate which I oh, thought God. was really funny. Uh, and this happened on WandaVision. Obviously, uh, WandaVision is not out yet, but stories about it, they're doing the whole, uh, they're doing the press tour. They've got the, they've got the, uh, what is it? The type of magazine cover already out there. That oh yeah, Entertainment Weekly. The Entertainment uh, Weekly post about it or the, the picture of it, which looks great. And uh, they, there's an interview out there about a really disgusting kiss that happened on set where it was really cold. They were outside, I think. And um, they had to have, uh, between uh, Elizabeth Olsen and uh, Paul, Paul Bettany, Bettany, they had mm-hmm. to have an on-screen kiss. Uh, but because it was so cold that there was snot running in one of the actors' nose, and it was running down while they were kissing, so it was a really disgusting kiss. And neither of them are are taking credit of it. Both of them are blaming the other for it. And, and it, it it's, you got to think about it and you could like, as soon as I, I thought about it, I could like taste it. And I got disgusted. I was just like, no, <laughs> Ugh, ew. And they have actually a really f- great chemistry on screen. And they also have like a friendship, uh, off of the, off of the screen as well. So this story seemed kind of tongue in cheek, that I was looking at and I thought it was kind of a kind of an interesting story so I, I don't know I, I thought it was disgusting but at the same time I kind of laughed and I was like oh that's something that's funny that the rest of the world would look at and be like you know in these dark times of global warming and uh you know hurricanes people would be like oh that's it's kind of you know bring some levity to my my uh to my to my day what do you think John <laughs> I mean yeah it, it, it's I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, it, it's funny and uh, it's definitely gross. Um, I know in a previous version of the uh, the script here, you had asked for like a funny kissing story. And uh, it, it just made me think of like there was this time in high school. I went, I had stayed at this camp, uh, this like week long uh, music and drama camp. And yeah there was this girl who I had fallen in love with and thought I was going to stay together with forever, even after the camp. And, um, I just remember like we, we kissed at one point and you know, when Hercules is fighting the Hydra and the heads just keep popping up every time he, he slices one. Um, it was kind of like that where it was, it was way too much. And I feel like, I feel like that's just such a universal thing where everybody has a really bad, gross kissing experience um so it's it, it's just it's fun to watch that happen to somebody who's like a celebrity and like <laughs> and held held in such esteem by so many people yeah oh you know since you gave yours i'll give mine which is not really a disgusting kiss story but it's more like a oh wow that's a really unfortunate kiss story um uh because i don't i don't i gotta admit i don't have many kissing stories but i do have one 
that stuck in my mind as really as an adult now i look back and i'd be like that's really tragically hilarious um and i'm willing to say it. it's like i was uh this was for prom my prom day and i were it was after prom it was kind of it was a great night we had been friends for a while and we were about to kiss on a boat ride we were taking back and while we were with our our group of friends who were on the boat one of them like tapped my shoulder uh as i think we were going to kiss and he's like hey can you take a picture of me and my date and i was like yeah okay and so that happened and i was just like fuck i was so i was so like dejected and it never got back to the kiss because that was ruined so it is what it is oh i'm sorry young chris no no young chris was very it's not to put down me but as like as as someone who's a kid i don't think i got enough not a kid i was like 18 at the time but like i there was a lot of lessons to learn and you know i'm not like i had good high school years i'm not gonna say they were bad high school years but i think there's a lot of things that um me as an adult right now it's like don't sweat the small stuff you know i did a lot of things for my friends and i will never regret that like i did a lot of homework and stuff like that this is getting really deep for some reason but like i i really enjoyed you know being being there for people and uh, there were some things in my life that i took just like too overboard and serious and i just looked at it and like man what a what a what a stupid kid that's stupid why are you taking this stuff so seriously like relax chill you know the the world's not going to end in the way i was not very charming too like things i thought they were like that's the right thing to do the right thing to say to a girl i'm like no and it's not like i'm like calling her like something derogatory it's more like you know wrong thing to say at the point not really a lot of a lot of charm no no so it, it is what it is john <laughs> oh yeah but i i think every every guy who grows up is not like out the womb like walking out like gaston you know getting women to fawn over them because they're so charming although gaston is kind of a douche that's a bad example what's the word I'm, what's the person i'm looking for leonardo dicaprio that's who i'm looking for you know pete dayton <laughs> girls half his age so uh, how classy how classy is that the hugh hefner of actors oh oh boy anyways (laughs) getting off that i want to talk to you about ghost kitchens okay look i was really excited when i saw this part of the of the script because i didn't know what any of these things were and and ghost did you did you look them up no no because i'm so excited to talk about ghost kitchens and i have no idea what this is um and so please please explain to me what's going on here okay so this is from i'm taking this material from a podcast the kind of funny podcast uh but i had to talk about it because i think it's a bizarre concept and some people are okay with it and think it's dope and i'm in my mind i'm like this is terrifying like how how is this okay and so john i have to ask you preface do you use uber eats doordash postmates any of those online food delivery services I don't anymore, but we used a lot of DoorDash uh, pre-COVID, um, mm-hmm. and it's just so convenient. So I'm very familiar with the concept and very familiar with DoorDash. Okay, so, and you said you don't know what ghost kitchens are. So basically, and th- there's a couple ways this goes, but basically you'll order from DoorDash or whatever the app of choice is. And you'll see like the new restaurants that pop up, not like, you know, the ones in your area that you're used to by looking on Google, like, oh, what's near me, like the ones on the apps. And you'll see like these restaurants you've never heard of before. And you'll be like, huh, I'll let me try something new because that's what they're pushed for you, these sponsored or whatever it is. And it'll be like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Chicken. So OMG, OMG chicken. You'll be like, huh. That I I didn't know that existed. And you'll look up the address on like whatever the app is. And like I didn't know there was a chicken place out there. Okay, whatever. So you order the app. The chicken comes to you. You like the chicken. Blah blah blah. Great. Then you come to find out when you do a little bit more research on the address, you'll be like, it has the same address as a freaking Seven Eleven. And instead of getting instead of saying that I got OMG chicken, you got Seven Eleven chicken. And in the same in the same address that they're using, there will be another one called OMG Hot Dogs or or best or best damn hot dogs. And you'll be like, these are 
7-Eleven hot dogs that are rebranded under a different type of restaurant. And so this is all so this is happening where there are services that will help you rebrand your if you have an industrial kitchen, they'll rebrand you and they'll come on a on an application on a tablet and that will be all the orders that they put up on the DoorDash or whatever Uber Eats that they work with and that that's how that's how it's done. So yeah, it, it's insane. And what the idea is, which is a professional chef in San Francisco was talking about it very briefly on that podcast, where it's a practice where it's a good way to get rid of waste. What that means is like if you're in industri- if you're at a, a high end restaurant and you're like, wow, we really our signature is steaks, but we also have salmon and we have chicken on the menu just in case people want that. And you don't sell a lot of salmon. You don't sell a lot of chick- chicken. So what you'll do is you'll set up a ghost kitchen on an app during the COVID times. It's perfect because guess what? People aren't going to dine to your invisible kitchen to go get chicken. They're going to use this app and they're just going to order it. And so that's how it goes. And this is a good way to get rid of product that you don't use a lot. So, I, I mean, it's just crazy to me. I want to get your thoughts because I think it's it's dishonest because where you think you're paying like like you think you're paying for chicken tenders that you think are going to be really out of this world and instead you're paying for chicken tenders from 7-Eleven. It doesn't make any sense. I don't like it. I think it's dishonest and I have a question because some of the people on that podcast were like, "Oh, I respect the hustle. I understand it. It's great." But then they brought up in San Francisco there was a newspaper that article that talked about how a really well-known restaurant in the area, a Thai restaurant, uh, got a call about someone who had put in an order on the app and they were asking about, hey, can I, you know, how's my order doing? It's been a while. And they replied, we don't do takeout. We don't do delivery or anything like that. And what happens is someone set up on the app the same restaurant with the same menu items and, uh, and actually a few more items than that. And the, they were using the same Yelp reviews. Yelp was coming up. And to get in contact with the fake restaurant was higher on Google search than the real restaurant. And they were using the same address and all that stuff. John, your thoughts? Oh, my gosh. No, I that is it is dishonest. It's deceitful for someone to think that they're getting a certain quality or level of food or even just a certain type of food. And then to be given something that they didn't order willfully. I mean, like if I'm going to order from Taco Bell, I'm going to expect a certain quality level. And that's fine because that's what I'm craving at that time. But if I'm going to, I don't know, even like, okay, well, like Ruth's Chris is is a pretty good steakhouse. It's a great steakhouse. So if if I'm going, if I want to go there or if I want to, do, if I want to door dash Ruth's Chris, um, and and something shows up and it's like Applebee's steak, that's not the same thing at all. And I'm gonna want my money back because it 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 may be branded the same and it may it may even look pretty similar. But if if you're not giving a customer what they're paying for, then you're straight up lying to them. Um, I mean, I mean, for the people that are able to get away with it, obviously capitalism and capitalism is king, whatever. But uh, if if I'm going to, if I, if that were to ever happen to me, oh my gosh, the hell I would raise. Um, Cause that is, that's not cool. I, I would not be okay with that. Yeah. And so this is, and I was looking, uh, I had another friend who I was talking about and they told me more about how this is a thing also in Britain, except instead of doing it like deceitfully, it'll be like someone is cooking out of their, out of their home kitchen. And so what happens is they'll be like making it'll be genuine home cooked food and they'll be using these ghost kitchen uh, type of vehicles to get that home cooked food to people. And I thought that seems a lot better than what maybe America is doing. Perhaps they have the same model also in the UK. I don't know. And, and I put this out to the audience all maybe maybe five of you are listening, you know, but I'm putting this out there to you to just like be aware because I know people really love Uber Eats, DoorDash, Postmates. I am 
I like driving in my car. I actually really do. I am what you would call a psychopath. And I like getting in my car, hearing the engine rev and going really fast down the streets. Yes. So I like picking up my food. I don't care. It, you know, it allows me to play music, kind of get my mind off stuff. It's great. But I wonder, what do other people who use these apps, are they also thinking it's dishonest and terrible? Because you and I don't use these apps. It doesn't really impact you and me that much. Because um, I have no problem just looking on Google, looking for a restaurant, calling them, going to it. And I think if I use like the Google, use the Google finder that finds me all the restaurants in the area. And I showed up and I was like, I'm going to BBQ, BBQ, uh, house of, uh, house of pork. And then I end up at like a, a Shoney's. I'm going to be like, what is this? And I don't think Google is going to allow that to happen until recently people figured out how to, to, uh, fabricate it too. So I don't know for those of you who are listening. Just keep that in mind, scarily. And then we're going to go on to our last topic, which is not really much of a topic, but a small story I wanted to get your take on. <laughs> that there are Japanese robot wolves that are protecting people from black bear attacks in the city of Takikawa. Takikawa. That's how you say it. Takikawa. I can't say Trebek, Trebek, but I can say Takikawa, which is Japanese. Uh, <laughs> terrible. Uh, John, these wolves are not like on all four legs running around like you would think, like a like a Pacific Rim type of robot. They're not that big either, but on a miniature scale, they're not like that either. Uh, they're just it's like kind of like the mechanical bull that you see at like the southern fairs or the bars, rather I should say, not a fair, but on a bar, it's a mechanical bull type of thing where it's a wolf and it it makes noises and it moves its head left and right and it looks haunting it doesn't look like a friend it just doesn't look like you know balto it looks it's got red eyes it's insanely scary looking it, it's used to deter deter these black bear attacks because in the past year they had over 130 bear attacks john all right we're going to take a real real close look at john's psyche here for a second and and baby john growing up oh um, boy I, okay so i i looked up the story as you were talking about it here um just to get a visual of what we're, we're what we're talking about um when i was young we had this uh cassette um like audiobook basically of peter mm -hmm. and the wolf and the story and um for whatever reason little baby john really did not like the way the wolf was portrayed the music along with it was just haunting um the i mean obviously like the score to that uh, to that production is incredible um is it tchaikovsky it is tchaikovsky uh yeah so he obviously wrote some incredible music for that and yeah the music Pre just stuck with me um to the point where for i don't even know how long but for a long period of time i would have these recurring nightmares about this giant wolf chasing me in my backyard and I would be in slow motion and couldn't get away and would just every night would get a little bit farther away and or maybe st like live a little while longer but would never be able to out like outrace it or get away um and the image of these robot wolves uh from Takikawa is is like like shot for shot the the image that I had of a wolf of my nightmares um oh, so wow. I, I i really want to thank you for bringing this memory back and right before i go to sleep here um making me think about these nightmarish robot wolves so well, thank you so much well here's what here's the thing this is where i'm gonna flip the script on you i was such a gentleman that i put it in the script so that you didn't have to look it up and you just listened to your old pal chris tell you about these things but you went on your own volition to look it up i described it I said there was horrifying looking red eyes and that should have been that should have been enough of a warning for you to be like, you know what? I'm not going to look this up because I don't want to relieve my nightmares. But you know what? You, John, are a very brave man and a very brave, stupid man at that. But <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I just I thought of it. and I was like, that's pretty insane. And I was wondering because they have a. Uh, they have like polar they had a polar bear incursion i don't think it was last year i think it was two years ago where polar bears overrun a russian town 
where like around 100, I think it was like over 110 bears, polar bears, which are the largest bear on earth, um, overrun like some town in the middle of nowhere because they were losing habitat. So they just came into the town. I was just like, gosh, should they also set up like creepy wolves in every corner of their town? I don't know. Um, but it is one of those things to think about. And I just thought it was, I thought it was a very interesting thing to bring up. I didn't know it was going to traumatize you. Uh, by the way, John, the, uh, in Peter and the wolf, the duck, the sounds it makes is from the oboe. Yes. Yeah. Fun fact. Cause I'm, I, I, I used to play oboe. You, and, uh, you were in my nightmares, Chris. I, I am in your nightmares as the duck. Uh, and as and me as the duck what i picture is in your nightmares it's going to be my head on a duck and instead of duck lips it's going to be pringles pressed together like duck lips and that will be me oh my gosh that's perfect is it is it less is it less haunting now or more haunting no definitely more haunting uh, that's what i thought you know that's 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 what i was going for i was this was hoping for um but anyways uh that is our show and uh we hope you enjoyed this version john will be in the driver's seat next week and uh so we are getting close to the thanksgiving times and maybe we'll do thanksgiving theme i don't know who knows we'll be getting there i don't know these are preliminary talks we're having here very very green very fresh so uh john will be in the driver's seat next week and we'll see you at that time okay guys bye bye